0: Alex Kapitko here, and this is the Centered from Reality podcast. It's Tuesday, and you know what? This is a big surprise, but it's actually sunny today, which I'm not really used to. It's so dark and depressing here, especially I mean, especially into February. So I guess we have a little bit of time before that. But good God, it was actually sunny today. It was in the 40s. It's sad how happy that made me feel. Um, anyways, uh, my time in Chicago is slowly coming to an end. I, my days here are numbered, so I'm quite happy, to be honest. (laughs) Can't, can't even express how happy I am to get out of here. It's, my time here has been nice for the most part, but uh, I kind of have cold feet now, and I think the weather's brought out some anxieties and all that. So it's good to, good to be moving along, new life things ahead. Uh, I'll keep you guys updated once, uh, once things get a little bit closer and things are a little more certain. But anyways, I'm sitting here on a uh, Tuesday afternoon I have somebody feed Phil on in the background, it's muted, but, uh, you know, I, I need something to make me feel like it's, uh, I'm somewhere else, basically, and uh, yeah, I'm watching him in Copenhagen taste out some different foods and drink some beer, and it looks, looks pretty relaxing, so good for Phil, honestly good show, catchy theme song, kind of helps you escape, he's a very quirky dude, um, and the reason I start that is because Somebody Feed Phil is on Netflix, and I need to start this with a little bit of a Netflix rant, I guess. Because, well, I finished season two of Ginny and Georgia, which is definitely one of my favorite shows on Netflix. <laughs> Don't judge me, but it's very good. I like the themes of mental health and the high school drama. It's like the Gilmore Girls with crime in it. Great show. Uh, I really like it. A- Antonia Gentry's great. Uh, Felix Mallard, they're all great actors in that. But, anyways, this isn't a review of Ginny and Georgia. It's more of my grievances towards Netflix. and. First off, I'll say I think Netflix has some good shows, like there's definitely some shows on there like Wednesday and Ginny and Georgia and Somebody Feed Phil, just to name a few that I've really quite liked. Or Stranger Things, I guess you could say, but my issue with Netflix is that, okay, season two of Ginny and Georgia's just ended, huge cliffhanger, everyone seemed to like it so far that's watched it, it's the number one show on Netflix for about a week now, and still people are unsure if there's going to be a season three. And it's kind of a gamble sometimes, like, I'm, I'm fairly certain, touch wood here, that it will be season three, but Netflix has a very strange business model, and they put a lot of factors into whether they're going to continue a show or not. For example, there's a show I started called 1899, which I decided not to finish because I heard they weren't going to renew it, and I'm like, what's the point of watching a show if you're not going to renew it? Like, why would I want to get all committed into a show? Because, like, right now, I'm very committed to Ginny and Georgia. And if I found out there's no season three, then, then screw me, right? Like, damn, it's just, it's just depressing at that point. And so, for example, 1899, maybe there's people that wanted to watch it. And now they're like, oh, well, there's no season two. Great. There's another show, Archive 81. Really fascinating. People liked the first season. Good kind of horror found footage type of thing they just kind of open up Pandora's box in season 1. Oh, canceled it for season 2. My my issue here is that Netflix keeps wondering why their numbers are bad and why they're struggling to, you know, keep profits as high as they were. I mean, first off, there's just a oversaturation now of different platforms, different streaming services, etc. But also, it's kind of hard to create loyalty when you keep canceling shows that people like. And and that's my issue here is that There's shows on HBO or on Disney Plus or whatnot that they don't just have an algorithm decide, oh, let's look at the numbers and decide if it's worth creating. They want to give it a few seasons to let it breathe. Because if you just cancel a show after its first season because maybe it didn't do as well as you hoped, you're not even giving it time to breathe. Like, The Office, season one of The Office wasn't good. If Netflix had control over The Office, they probably would have canceled it after season one. And shows need time and it's really hard to create loyalty to a brand when people go why would I want to watch a show if it might be canceled and I don't know I I, I will not claim to be an expert on on Netflix and how that all works but I, I know they have a lot of di- different ways to quantify whether a show's kept like time it's in the number or time it's in the top ten whether everyone completes it like what's the completion rate does does the majority of people complete the entire season or what they also they also just look at viewership and so i you know i, I do think Ginny and georgia will be back for season three but netflix throws these curveballs and it pisses people off and look if i was going to say oh i'd rather watch h I, I would rather subscribe to hbo where you're you know they consistently do seem to renew shows even if maybe it has a bad season or netflix that you never know i'd probably go with hbo so Sorry, I had to start with a rant before we get into the more depressing stuff. (laughs) So I want to start now, now that I'm done with Netflix, um, I want to start today's episode by talking about Mexico. I want to talk about many things here, but I want to talk about the violent escalation that we're seeing between the Spanish military and kind of the breakdown of the Sinaloa cartel, as well as other cartels, and what it maybe shows about AMLO's struggles in Mexico to control it, and also what it could mean as a security crisis in Mexico. So I wanna talk about that. But first, we should just touch on Biden's visit to Mexico to meet with Andres Manuel Lopez Obrador, who I will call AMLO for the sake of not spitting that out every time, but basically Mexico's president, who I'm sure you guys know I'm not a fan of, He's uh, meeting with Biden, and I should note that they really don't have a great relationship so far. They, 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 they don't like like Biden's kind of what you could consider kind of a centrist neoliberal, and Amlo kind of hates everything about that. He's he's a you know an economic nationalist, a left wing populist, is very hesitant of Western influence, imperialism, capitalism. So him and Biden have a lot of things different in their policies, and Omlo actually seemed to get along better with Trump, because at least my theory is that Omlo and Trump are both kind of populist, even though they're different sides of the populist coin. They both are hesitant towards authority, don't really believe in democracy like others do, and they are more protectionist in a lot of ways. And I, I mean, I, I've always thought Omlo is kind of a West <laughs> left-wing version of Trump, but anyways, Biden stopped at the border on Sunday, which, of course, the right is freaking out about. I'm not going to talk about that today. We've talked about immigration before, but Biden did finally stop at the border. Why it took him about two years is beyond me. After that, though, he headed to Mexico City to meet with the Mexican government. And then today he is going to meet with both AMLO and Justin Trudeau of Canada. And by the time this episode is out, I would assume they would have already met because I'm recording this on Tuesday but I want to talk about what's, what the talks were like on Monday between Biden. And apparently on Monday, the Biden administration just tried very hard to make the Mexican government happy. And that's kind of Biden's thing is he's good at these personal relationships. And NPR notes here in quotes, The White House took pains on this trip to accommodate one of AMLO's domestic political issues, landing Air Force One at Felipe Angeles International Airport instead of the more convenient and central Benito Juarez Airport. Now this is this is the airport that I've discussed I think a few times not not too much into detail but it's kind of one of Amlo's pet projects and of course he needs the optics of Biden landing there instead of the more popular and accessible airport of course this guy's an optics guy it should not surprise anyone here and so apparently things didn't really go well from what I've understood though I I mean I, I'm sure I mean anyways I'll I'll keep going so the. Talks between the leaders got off to kind of a bumpy start. I guess they were supposed to kind of share pleasantries and brief openings at the beginning, but it basically devolved into a debate over the history of U.S. support for Latin America. And according to what I've seen, AMLO told Biden that the the United States had just done little to support development in Latin America since JFK's Alliance for Progress, which was in the early 1960s, and it was spending programs in the area. And AMLO was like, I haven't seen much involvement here. You guys are too busy. And I don't even know if we want your help. We might have to look in other ways, said things to the effect of that. And Biden took issue with these comments and apparently went off script. And he told AMLO in quotes, the US government has spent tens of billions of dollars in the hemisphere over the last 15 years. And then he basically just stressed that like, we we would love to just have a relationship with you guys, but we also have interests in Europe and Asia and so and so. And I mean, I think it's important to note is that the U.S. is kind of busy, whether you like that or not. Mexico's not our only focus, and also the thing is, is that it's kind of funny that Amlo's even worried about U.S. involvement in Mexico or saying it's not enough, because he's kind of skeptical towards free trade and U.S. involvement. So I, I would almost think he'd want less. But anyways, the guy's complicated. I think he's an atrocious president. Anyways, and also Amlo, it's not like he's really done much to really get support because. Because he even, I believe he even skipped a summit in Los Angeles. I think it was in Los Angeles last year, back in like June or July, to make a point um, when other Latin American and North American leaders were there. And so nothing new here. But I should note that while the two had a bumpy start, they did get to share a ride together to kind of talk alone. And like I said, Biden is known to be good at fostering personal, you know, relationships with leaders. So maybe things worked out. Who knows? But while I bring up Mexico is because while this meeting was going on a little bit in a different region of Mexico, there were more dramatic and dangerous and violent events happening. And a little context here is AMLO has been quite bad, especially early on in dealing with the rise of cartel violence. And he's, he's had sort of troubling positions on it because we have to remember that El Chapo, Guzman, you know, leader, I believe founder, I'm not 100% sure, but leader of the Sinaloa cartel, he was kind of this figure that was obviously doing a lot of illicit activity and responsible for a shit ton of drugs going into the United States. But at the same time, he didn't believe in attacking citizens or the police or politicians because he felt that they needed them on his side. But what's happened since then is that he was arrested, right? And there was a power vacuum that kind of happened. And now you have different cartel members that have different philosophies. And some of the new leaders do believe in kind of fear and violence against military, government, and police officials. And AMLO was, was against actually arresting um, Oviedo Guzman, who is the son of uh, El Chapo. And Amlo has also kind of failed to make the situation better because he's thought that by leaving the cartels alone, they'll leave people alone. And since I think it was 2018 when he got elected, it's been kind of a nightmare. And basically over the last few years, things have just fallen out of control, mainly because of these power vacuums that have been created and new ideas of using violence and fear. And... Now, the military really has lost a lot of ability around the country to police some of these areas and to keep control going in some of these areas. And as Biden was heading to Mexico to meet AMLO, um, the Mexican government had basically arrested Ovido Guzman and were trying to get him to an airstrip in Culican, which is the capital of Sinaloa. And basically, there was just a huge wave of almost warlike scenarios happening where... The Sinaloa cartel was trying to stop the military from using an airstrip to get Ovido Guzman out, and there's been wreckage around the city and in other parts of the county uh, or the region of Sinaloa, and it's just a complete mess. It's, a, it's kind of concerning for the whole se- like, like security scenario in Mexico. And anyways, there's a good article in The Atlantic that goes over the terror and violence basically that's happening here. The article is called 24 Hours of Terror as Cartel Violence Engulfs Mexican City. And, basically, Culiacan, which is, like I said, the capital of Sinaloa, which is a region, province, whatever you want to call it. This is where Chapo's infam- infamous uh, cartel originated. And, like I said, o- Oviedo Guzman was arrested. Military's trying to transport him out of the area to go to prison. And the cartel forces were really fighting back and just kind of scorched earth pretty much everywhere to stop the military from getting it in the way and doing anything. And... The Guardian writes here about people, in quotes, scrambling for cover as security forces and cartel gunmen fought for control of an airfield that had become the latest frontline of a Latin American drug conflict that's claimed tens of thousands of lives per year. The article continues here, in quotes, Mexican troops battled to regain full control of Sinaloa's state capital after the arrest of one of the country's most wanted men, Ovidio Guzman, which sparked a day of bloodshed and chaos. And I've seen pictures all over the internet And it just looks like a war zone. You have burning cars, damage everywhere. People have been told not to go outside. So far, 29 people dead, 10 members of the military, 19 alleged cartel members, 35 soldiers wounded. I'm sure it could be much worse. Um, You also had two airplanes at the airport that had to take, from what I've read here, emergency landings. Sorry, we got a vehicle out there. One moment. Um, There we go. Um, We had two airplanes had to do emergency landings because they were hit by, in quotes, a considerable number of cartel bullets. And I think if you just step back a little bit, like I've been listening to a few podcasts and reading some articles just on the situation in Mexico more generally. And it just seems like there's some very serious issues about security in Mexico and whether the military even has control And I think if some of this violence really steps out and gets worse, like like the United States, Guatemala, like all of the surrounding areas, I think could really face some security crises. And it just is not good when you see the military constantly being pushed back by these cartels because when you lose your monopoly on violence inside of a country, it's never a good sign. And I mean, Mexico for years now has put up death numbers that are more like in the Middle East in some places. So not good. And you're seeing these cartels be more just blatantly violent. And so I, I do think this this uh, this offensive was optics because it's interesting that it happened right before Biden showed up to meet AMLO. It sounds like AMLO is starting to realize that maybe some of his policies are not working out. But the violence is not good, and, you know, the the sad thing is is that it makes life pretty hard for just average citizens, and it kind of makes the rule of law get put into the back seat. So we'll have to keep watching it, but there's just uh, not a lot of really great news going on in Mexico right now, and that will hurt us down the road. Now, moving on, kind of sticking back to Biden, because this (laughs) actually—at least these events broke while Biden was in Mexico— Something else interesting happened. So you have Biden, Merrick Garland was also there in Mexico City. They're discussing affairs with the Mexican government. And something really awkward happens that will impact both of them, and not in like a great way for either one. Basically, news stories broke about Biden having classified documents in his office. Yes, you heard me correctly. Classified documents in his office. I know that sounds like deja vu, but no, we're not talking about Trump. We're talking about Biden. And basically just reports all over the U.S. just went crazy yesterday about documents being found in Biden's former office at the Penn-Biden Center for Demo- uh, sorry, Diplomacy and Global Engagement in Washington. And CNN notes here in quotes, Among the items from Joe Biden's time as vice president discovered in private office last fall are 10 classified documents, including U.S. intelligence memos and briefing materials that covered topics including Ukraine, Iran, and the United Kingdom. And from what I've gathered, the documents were dated between 2013 and 2016, and... Also, CNN writes here later in the article, these documents were found in three or four boxes, also containing unclassified papers that fall under the Presidential Records Act. And I mean, this is this is definitely big news. We're obviously going to have to wait and see the full extent and all the information that comes out about this. But it's not good news for Biden by any means. I think that's pretty, pretty fair because we have to I mean, we have to remember for anyone who forgets because so much crazy shit's going on we do have to remember that Merrick Garland is currently running that pretty high-profile investigation into Trump dealing with classified documents at Mar-a-Lago. And according to everything I've seen right now, Merrick Garland has already received reports on these documents, he, so he knows what's happening. And now it's going to get interesting because he has to decide whether he wants to or doesn't want to open a full-blown investigation, criminal potentially investigation, into this. Now, I think, I think we're going to have to wait and see about that. I don't particularly think that's going to be the case, but of course you never know. And I can't imagine how awkward that probably was. You know, you have Biden and Garland sitting in Mexico City when these events came out. And I did read that reporters asked the two about what was happening, but apparently they didn't really answer any questions. They ignored those. I guess probably smart. I don't know. But I... I think the real elephant in the room here, though, is optics, right? Optics are just horrible for this, like really, really, really bad. And even if this case is not similar to the whole Mar-a-Lago situation, it just doesn't look good when Democrats and the Justice Department have been really criticizing Trump. And then Biden's kind of busted for something maybe similar. Again, maybe not. But you know, Trump's mishandling classified information. And then you hear Biden did it. Now, I I do think that it seems like Biden might have been more clueless to this, while Trump might have just been naive to what he can do, or more nefarious. I think there might be different circumstances here, but it still doesn't look good. Also, the DOJ and other officials apparently knew about these documents for over two months, because according to reports, the documents were actually discovered on November 2nd, which was about six days, I believe, before the midterms. So... You know, it's been what two months? The the documents became public yesterday, and I don't know what these people were thinking. I mean, I I guess they there's probably a reason why they didn't want to share until now, but it looks really bad. Another time when you have an election and you have documents that have been kind of not released until afterwards, I I sometimes you wonder, do these people understand PR at all? But also. I should note that this will just give so much more fuel to House Republicans who want to investigate Biden in almost every avenue, right? You have, for example, I think it was today, you have Congressman Comer, who is quite a character. He's already said there's going to be investigations into these documents. He, he said in an interview, in quotes, President Biden has been very critical of President Trump mistakenly taking classified documents to the residents or whatever and now it seems like he may have done the same how ironic and i'm sure fox news and everyone is just going to eat this story alive and get ready get ready for things to just get any just even more crazy now i should be fair and note that while the optics optics sorry are bad and while this will fuel conspiracies and outrage and false equivalences and whatever not i do think that biden's side has definitely been more transparent or at least more honest about what's happened, because according to a CBS interview I read this morning, Richard Sober, 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 I think it is, who is Biden's special counsel, has said in quotes, the documents were discovered when Mr. Biden's personal attorneys were packing files housed in a locked closet to prepare to vacate office space at the Penn Biden Center in Washington, D.C. And it sounds like when they found these, they automatically made the information available to the National Archives, and then cooperated. The article also notes that as soon as the documents were found, in quotes here, the White House counsel's office notified the National Archives, which then took possession of the materials, and then they reported it to the DOJ. And I think this is a step in the right direction, at least compared to what Trump's team has done, right? Trump has changed his story way too many times. Like, I can't even keep up with it. I can't keep up if he knew he had the documents, or they were planted there, or whatnot. He's gone in circles. And you know, at at times Trump has expressed willingness to cooperate, then he won't. And then he said the documents were his. And then he said he can declassify anything pretty much with magic. I'm just trying to be as fair as possible. And I do think this is a mess for Biden, especially more in the optics way. But I do think the Trump case is worse just because it sounds like the Biden administration was admitting error while the Trump administration is not really even sure what their story is anymore. And obviously time will tell. And... I won't stay on this for much longer just because things are evolving, but that being said, Merrick Garland has assigned a U.S. attorney for the Northern District of Illinois, and he's named John Loesch, and he's going to find out how the material marked classified ended up at the Penn-Biden Center, and I do think there's some serious questions about how that happened because it's one thing finding the documents and then saying, sorry, we're turning them in, you can investigate, but there are questions about, like, how did they get there, is this more of a trend, and why? So that's something we're going to have to figure out as well. And interesting, this guy um, that's going to be investigating Biden was appointed by Trump, and he's one of the remaining holdouts in the DOJ, which no issues with me. I I wonder if Merrick Garland is doing that on purpose to kind of lessen the polarization of this whole situation. I don't know. I'm just kind of speculating there, but it is fascinating to me. And Loesch is going to investigate and then release a final report. And for now, we're just going to have to wait and see. I'm sure Fox News will speculate enough for all of us combined, so we'll move on from there. Now, the last thing I want to talk about is a sense of deja vu I'm having in Brazil, and no, I didn't come up with that name. I saw it in an article somewhere. I forget where at this point, but no, it's not my creative idea, so don't give me too much credit. But anyways, I won't dwell on this for too long, but I do want to mention that little sense of deja vu I have regarding what happened in Brazil on Sunday. Now... It's kind of interesting because I may have kind of jinxed things because I think it was about a week ago that I talked about Lula's inauguration and how it looked like Bolsonaro was handling the loss better than Trump did. Right? I talked about how while he hadn't conceded the election, at least he just kind of jetted off to Florida and also did tell his supporters to stop blocking highways and other roadways. He was a little bit stronger in at least saying don't be violent assholes. But unfortunately, It looks like bad things do typically happen when a former president, who is liked by a decent amount of the population, doesn't concede an election. Because I woke up on Sunday, a couple days ago, uh, to to reports of events that seemed very eerily similar to those of January 6th, and weirdly about almost two years exactly. And I'm going to read a section from The Economist because I think it sums up well the similarities and the differences between (laughs) what happened here. And the article, it's a little long, writes, in quotes here, On Sunday, perhaps realizing that no coup was coming, the Bolsonaristas decided to take matters into their own hands. Although the rampage occurred during a congressional recess, meaning the invaded buildings were mostly empty, it bore striking similarities to the storming of the Capitol on January 6, 2021, by, the, by followers of Donald Trump. In the Senate, for example, the Bolsonaristas climbed onto the stage and slid down it as if it were a playground slide. In the Supreme Court, they ripped a justice's door from its hinges and posted photos of themselves on social media, hoisting it into the air as if it were a trophy. So, you know, just 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 because if I didn't make it clear enough, you had um, a bunch of supporters of the guy who wouldn't admit he lost, storm the government buildings and kind of just make a mockery of it all. Um, looked very similar to January 6th, just different colors. And my two takeaways, or at least takeaways that come to my mind right now, are first that this actually seemed like a little bit less planned and a little bit less effective of what happened in the United States. What I mean here is because, for example, Lula was already inaugurated, right? And Congress was in recess. So this means that Lula's already president. He's already been certified and the buildings are empty. So like they couldn't even go set up a gallows to hang like a Mike Pence type of figure. I mean, God, what are they thinking? You know? And they went into empty buildings and caused chaos. They couldn't stop any certification. They couldn't hang Lula or something. Instead, they just kind of danced around and took photos and, you know, ripped doors out and slid down poles. I mean, it's kind of just like a tourist visit, right? I'm I'm being sarcastic. Uh, it's hard to be sarcastic sometimes, but it's it sounds to me like a very sad remake of January 6th. Like, it, it, it's kind of like the the Portuguese language version of January 6th, and I'm not trying to downplay it because there's obviously serious issues here with, with just the fact that it happened, but you kind of wonder, like, why did they do it at this point? Like, <laughs> you guys should have done it a few weeks ago if you were really trying to make a point here, but it is still troubling that these people did this, but I just have to question what their goal actually was. Now... What I am concerned about, this is kind of my second takeaway, is while the police on January 6th in the United States had coordination issues and there were definitely flaws in intelligence coordination, it does seem like there were bigger issues in Brasilia, the capital of Brazil, that raised questions about whose side the police and the military were on. The economist brings this up well. It writes here, shortly after the invasion of Congress, a group of officers were caught on film chatting with protesters, taking selfies and filming the chaos rather than trying to stop it. Requests for backup from the head of the Senate police to the governor of the Federal District of Brasilia, who is an ally of Mr. Bolsonaro, were ignored until late in the afternoon. And this is something a little bit more extreme and it makes sense because in, in a lot of these countries, and I don't think Brazil is immune to this, there is an allegiance to, to certain political parties that I think the military's upper echelon and the law enforcement have. And Bolsonaro was popular with the military. And there are concerns there about—I mean, because Brazil's had military coups in the best, and Bolsonaro was even a supporter of it. He was actually part of the military regime as a, as a soldier back in the day. And in countries like this, there are fears about what if the military breaks away. And of course, that's what people like Michael Flynn in the U.S. wanted to happen. But the U.S. just didn't see that support for Trump like maybe you could see for Bolsonaro. Now, luckily, it didn't go any further than that because Bolsonaro has condemned the violence, though I will also say he's not actually condemned the reasons for the violence, right? It's a very Trumpian thing. He's like, go home, don't be violent, but I understand why you'd be angry because the election was stolen, you know. And then he's still hanging out in Florida for some reason. I've heard maybe it's um, health issues. There was—hold on, let me pull that up. There was something I actually just saw before we were recording that I pro- Oh, yeah, it says, um. Let's see, in, in a joint statement, the leaders of America, Canada, and Mexico condemned riots in Brazil. Oh, yeah, it says Mr. Bolsonaro is currently in hospital in Florida with abdominal pain. So that's interesting. I don't know if he went there for medical treatment or what. You would think the former president could get some pretty good treatment there. But anyways, yes, he is in Brazil with medical treatment. He was walking around a Publix yesterday just like looking at grocery aisles and stuff. Very weird stuff. But yes, he is... It's good. He has at least kind of condemned what's happened. And it's also good that the police eventually cleared out the buildings. And damn, I mean, people are are already getting arrested. Now, I worry Lula is not my favorite guy either. I don't like Bolsonaro. I don't like Lula. Lula is definitely a leftist and Bolsonaro's far right. I'm a little bit concerned that Lula might come down with an iron fist about this. Like the United States has really walked a very tight rope about how to deal with this without like making political prisoners out of nothing. I'm a little bit worried that the Brazilian government could really crack down on this and do it in a way that we would deem somewhat illiberal or authoritarian. Because people are getting arrested quite quickly. And, I mean, it's good if they're terrorists and the fascists that Lula claims they are. But I don't like these quick sweeping, like, arrests of lots of people. So, not great news. Also, I think a trickier challenge with all this is that, like, basically the Brazilian officials need to understand the police failures behind the riots And they'll also need to work to prevent future attempts by the Bolsonaristas to create chaos. Because that just doesn't go away, as we know, in the United States as well. When you have a president that doesn't concede, that seems to be a very dangerous cancer that just doesn't particularly go away very quick. And, you know, there's also other lingering questions right now. Like, who bust the people to the Capitol? How did the people all get there? How was it coordinated, right? I, I haven't seen enough information yet to really know what's happened in that regard but somehow they all got there also i mean i think the troubling thing is like how much influence did people like steve bannon and steven miller have because steve bannon has expressed support for bolsonaro he's told the people to stand up against the stolen election you have to wonder what type of coordination has been happening there then you also have trump come out and express support for bolsonaro never good. You have to wonder, were there any ties between not Trump himself, but the Bannon types? I would not be surprised, even though I don't, again, I'm just speculating. But I think the bigger takeaway here is like, what does this wave of election denialism and the inability for some of these populists to concede, what does it mean for our global democratic systems? Like there's clearly this global wave of conspiratorial election denialism. And I'm sure we'll see this happen in another country because the Steve Bannon types, the Trump types, the Bolsonaro types, it's now a global movement. You know, they always rail against the globalists, but ironically, they really are the global party of this illiberal reactionaryism. And of course, we'll see this somewhere else. It just, if you don't hold people accountable, and I know I've said this, so I apologize, but A failed coup is always just a dress rehearsal for the real coup, unless you do something. And eventually you have to wonder if one of these will be successful. So, yeah, lots of chaos in the world. Of course, um, I, I haven't even got into U.S. news, really. But, of course, Kevin McCarthy's officially speaker... Looks like his life is going to get crazy. We'll probably talk about that more into the week, but I wanted to start with some international stories and my Netflix rant. So again, go watch Ginny and Georgia so we can keep it in the top 10 and it gets a third season. And if you start watching it, finish it. It's entertaining. Watch it with your girlfriend or boyfriend or, you know, cuddle up on the couch and drink tea like me and watch it. Do whatever, but go watch it. Also, um, Hopefully uh, hopefully things get calmed down in Mexico, but that's going to take a lot of time and effort. So take care. I'll be back. Have a great rest of your night. You can find me on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, Podbean. You know the rest. Ciao.